Shalom, Shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm delighted to hear that you are drawn to the Jewish root that supports the grafted in branches. You know, Torah is central to properly understand and perform the will of Hashem, that is, God. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone forensically righteous only achieves its goal when the person, by faith, accepts that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. Welcome to Parashat Ha'atzinu. Here, the address is Davarim, Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 1 through chapter 52. That's right, it's only one chapter long. The reading date is for Shabbat, and I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman. The written commentary was updated on July 4th of 2006. Note that all quotations are taken from the Complete Jewish Bible Translation by David H. Stern, Jewish New Testament Publications Incorporated, unless otherwise noted. Let's begin with the opening blessing for the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bachar banu mikol ha'amim, v'natan lanu et Torato. Baruch atah Adonai noten ha-Torah. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. You have selected us from among all the peoples and have given us your Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Our yearly Torah reading cycle is nearing its conclusion. To be sure, the next parasha known as Vazot Habracha will bring our yearly reading to an end. Now I want to encourage you to actively read and study God's Word, whether it's of a, um, of a personal nature or you study because you are a teacher and you're leading a Bible study or something like that. It is absolutely crucial to read and study God's Word. Now, whether you continue uh, the Jewish reading schedule that we have been going through, perhaps venturing off into the book of Joshua next, or if you'd like to start a new cycle from the Apostolic Scriptures, feel free to do that. Um, or if you just want to cycle around with the Torah portions, again, start in Deuteronomy or start in Genesis again, um, that's fine as well. The key point is to maintain your regular time in the Bible. Establish a schedule and discipline yourself to stick to it. Uh, this is actually one of the, and I'll go ahead and confess this to you, this is actually one of the hardest disciplines that I myself personally have. That's right. Even though I'm a Torah teacher, I find it extremely difficult disciplining myself week after week to actually read and study. As much as I love to read and study the Torah, it's a personal discipline um, to set time aside to read the portions and to study in them and to prepare for my notes. It's it's very, very difficult. Um, I, I mean, I say it's very difficult. It really should be easy, right? Uh, I don't have any children present in the home. I just have my wife and I work one job and she works one job. We're both full-time uh, employed, 
uh, what, do they, what do they say? Double income, no kids, dinks. So um, you, you'd think it would be easy, but uh, perhaps maybe it's just my yetzer hara, my, my, my flesh, um, bucking against what I know God has called me to do. For whatever reason, I, I am confessing to you that it is very difficult, and yet I must do it, because it is what, uh, it, it's what God expects of me. It's what I'm called to do. So... I'm going to go ahead and pass on the encouragement to you. Um, uh, you know, establish a schedule and discipline yourself to stick to it. Uh, as his children, it is absolutely necessary to feed yourself regularly in his Torah. So um, don't, con- don't, don't forget to pray for me as I uh, continue to press through and, and, and put together the commentaries, the, the, both the written versions as well as the audio versions, the podcasts. Kitskin, it's been um, a, a very fun time um, going through this with you. Again, each year's is a new adventure uh, with Hashem and with His Torah. I learn something new every time I go through the Torah, and I pray that you will as well. One other thing before I get started, it's it, it shouldn't need to be said, but we realize that the Torah is full of wonderful passages about the goodness of Hashem and the loving mercy that he, of course, freely lavishes upon his children. But we need to remind ourselves that the Torah is a balanced book also. And so sometimes we need to remind ourselves that also within the Torah is the record of men's failures and lack of discernment where the things of the Lord are concerned. We're all human. We all fail God from time to time. As faulty humans, we simply miss the mark of Hashem on Sometimes the simplest levels, like I was talking about uh, um, teaching Torah, reading the Torah portion, studying uh, for my um, for my lessons, for my uh, uh, podcasts, and for my presentation. Uh, it, it's such a simple thing to open up the Word of God, turn to the Torah reading, read it, and pray and press in to what God has written down or preserved for me there. And then to turn around and... Um, give that back out to you, the students, the listeners, the readers. seems like such a simple task. And yet, sometimes, and I'm not saying all the time, it's, it's, it's drudgery for me, but sometimes it can be uh, amazingly difficult to sit down and, and put together a lesson uh, for the uh, Internet audience. And so, you know, I'm faulty as well. I simply miss the mark that God is, is, is setting for me. And so I have to also discipline myself Day after day, month after month, year after year. I suppose I skipped week after week in there, right? R.E.L. Do it. Sit down. Put together the commentary. Um, um, press into God and make sure that um, um, that you're spending time with Him so that the Spirit can speak to you and through you. R.E.L. Do it. you got to do it. Sit down and do it. And so, um, again, uh, I simply miss the mark sometimes. So, the rebuke and the correction that we, you know, me included, that we consequently receive from our Heavenly Father should be accepted by us as an attempt to bring us back on course when we stray from His loving hand. And so, um, whether your straying is large or whether your straying is little, straying is straying. And um, we must keep ourselves ever aware of of, uh, what God has given to us and what He's doing through us, and particularly how He has given the Holy Spirit so freely and that we can avail ourselves of His power for, uh, when, when we need it most. Um, we all go through difficult times. We all go through stressful times. There are different um, circumstances for each and every single person, and the believers are no exception. And um, sometimes things can be good and going along swimmingly, and then 
you seem to hit a snag in your schedule, and uh, it creates problems. Or you you seem to uh, uh, face um, difficulties in your life that seem un- insurmountable. We must remember that God has freely poured out His Spirit to each and every one of us abundantly so that we can press through. We all go through things, is my point. And we all have access to the same free Spirit. If you name the name of Yeshua, you have access to the Spirit. Don't shortchange yourself. It is vital that we have a dynamic relationship with God. And only then will we be able to accomplish the things that we are called to do. God will not put us in an impossible situation. Remember, it's like the clever bumper sticker says that you can pick up at your Christian bookstores. God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. And um, I have to remind myself of that week after week. So, with that in mind, I must mention that this week's commentary contains some words of rebuke both for the church as well as for the Jewish community. Like a loving father, he gently and sometimes not so gently corrects us so that we can develop proper character. He's not trying to beat us into the ground, try to deflate our balloons, try to uh, ruin our party. Um, He's not trying to make life miserable for us. He's trying to grow us up. Wouldn't you agree? This week's parasha is called Ha'atzinu, which means here. And it's, it's, it's like a verbal imperative. It means you hear or you listen, um, it's not the normal word for hear in the Hebrew. It stems from the word azan, which, um, according to Brown and Drive's, uh, Brown, Driver, and Briggs' Jacinius lexicon, um, is, is a word which means ear. The root word ozen means ear. And so the, the word azan is used in this verse. Is actually, it's a Hebraism. It means give ear. Is literally what he's saying. You give ear. Uh, and lend your ear. What it means to lend your ear or give your ear means, well, to hear. So, um, the Pasuk instructs us quite literally to lend an ear. And the title, just like all the other previous parashot, come from the opening statement, usually an opening word or phrase within the first Pasuk, the first verse or so. This one is no exception. Ha'atzinu ha'shamayim va'adabara v'tishma ha'eretz I'm sorry, Ha'aretz Imrefi. I'll read that again. Ha'atzinu Hashamayim va'adabara v'tishma Ha'aretz Imrefi. Hear, O heavens, as I speak. This is Moshe speaking, righteously. Uh, listen, earth, to the words from my mouth. Moshe um, poetically addressing the elements. Of course, um, can the elements hear him? Well, that's a question we'll have to ask Hashem. When we see him, can the earth listen? Can the heavens actually pay attention to what Moshe is about to say? In reality, we understand that Moshe is talking to us as well. We are privy to his discourse. This portion, like the previous portion, as I mentioned, is only one chapter long. And it's possibly for that reason that many times the two portions are put together um, as a double portion, uh, depending on how the uh, yearly uh, reading schedule is put together. Scholars have noticed that the format of this particular parasha follows a peculiar structure, which is not similar to most passages. It's actually quite unique. In modern writer writing, um, it could be likened to a legal agreement that a master and a servant would make with one another. It seems like that's the format of this particular uh, passage. It details the stipulations of what will happen to the servant if he fails to obey his master's commands. Now, um, 
archaeologists, those who study ancient writings and things like that, they have um, compared the writings of the Torah to other extra-biblical writings, um, you know, writings that are extant with the biblical writings. And what we would find is that we would call this type of relationship between the master and a servant, we term it suzerain-vassal. Okay? The suzerain is the master and the vassal is the servant. And it's a unique type of relationship uh, between two parties. It's not entirely unlike the blessings and the curses that we read about earlier in the book of Deuteronomy. You remember the Tochacha of uh, chapters 27 through 30 in the uh, Torah there. Sadly, like the previous mentioned chapters, the bulk of the material that we read about today is f- in the form of chastisement and punishment. Of course, this is because Israel is a wayward people. And uh, God has to reprove and rebuke and correct those whom he loves. He chastises uh, those whom he loves. And this is proof of his love. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't chasten us. And if he didn't chasten us, we would develop into spoiled, rotten brats and with uh, with very little character and therefore we could re- never really be relied upon to do quite much for God. So thank God for his chastisement, for his rebuke, for his correction, for his reproof, because it develops character. So let's talk about our Torah portion. We're going to talk about both the good news and the bad news, the blessing and the curse. This next section of my commentary is entitled, The Good News and the Bad News. Now why? We might ask ourselves, does Hashem seem to constantly emphasize our shortcomings? We asked this question uh, a few weeks ago, uh, as I mentioned in the last few parashot. God seems to keep emphasizing the fact that Israel is going to fail, and when they fail him, he's going to have to correct them. And um, why can't the Torah just be full of all the goodness and the niceties and the and, and the positive things? You know, Why can't we just... Um, have a, a bed of roses without the thorns. Well, is God really so enamored with how we fail him that he fails to see the good in us? You ever meet people like that or that are just so pessimistic that they cannot see the good in anything? They wake up in the morning, they look outside, they see that it's raining, and they complain. Why does it have to rain today? Why is it such a gloomy day? Not realizing maybe the good that God is uh, uh, doing to the ground by bringing the ne- perhaps the needed moisture. You know, every day can't be a sunshiny day. The earth would dry up. We need rain. And so um, you run into these people who look at the glass. I'm, I'm being very, um, uh, what's the word I want to use? Um, uh, uh, proverbial right now, right? Uh, you know, they look at the glass and they say, it's half empty. You know, the half the liquid's gone already. Why can't they see it as half full? So, is God that way? Is, is that is that how we are, we are to imagine God? You know, it's very easy sometimes to cast God into the image of our own inner demons. We We look at the world around us and we don't see things very positively. It seems like, woe is me. And everyone hates me. I'm gonna, you know, nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm gonna sit down and eat worms. Is is God that way as well? Well, no, He isn't. But um, <laughs> from a cursory reading of some of these verses, it seems like why even the rabbis ask these questions? Why do the curses outweigh the blessings? Why, why, why? Well, in the case of the Jewish people, we 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 kind of ask this question: Was He so positive that they would forsake Him and follow after false gods that they that 
God needed to stand, as it were, poised like an executioner with a big blade, ready to bring it down as swift punishment. You know, it's inf- it's unfortunate that um, the traditions that have been um, handed down between the the two respective communities that that we speak of often, the Jewish community on the one hand and the Christian community on the other hand, um, there have been people down through both communities that have seen the God of the Old Testament or the Tanakh as a very fire-breathing, um, unforgiving God when compared to the supposed God of the New Testament, which I, I guess is Jesus. I'm not sure in that scenario how you can end up with two gods. Um, but we seem to to sometimes uh, give the God of the Old Testament as we're a bad rap, and um, uh, it's it's unfair. It's unfortunate uh, because we all know that God never changes, and this is proven out both by His character as well as by the words of Scripture it tells us that God doesn't change. But why is He emphasizing Israel's downfalls here? Much as it may seem to be the case that God is just ready to to wipe them out at every um, bad turn. Fortunately for our sake, it isn't true. God isn't ready to just destroy us and wipe us out at every wrong turn that we make. Hashem is a God of undeserved mercy and loving compassion. He extends goodness when we don't deserve it. Time and time again, He demonstrates forgiveness, mercy, grace, kindness, um, uh, provision, uh, uh, vision, um, knowledge, wisdom, uh, support, all of these things he extends to even those who are not his own. He extends these, extends these, these, these um, uh, qualities of his to everyone at every place and every time, sooner or later, we all encounter the goodness and mercy of In fact, those of you listening to the sound of my voice, whether you believe in God or not, um, the fact that you have ears to hear, eyes to see, and lungs that that can that take that can take in um, 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 breath and exhale it. The fact that you're a living being is grace. I mean, God didn't have to let you live. So, uh, God is a God of undeserved mercy and loving compassion. We've got to remind ourselves of this. No matter how hard things get, no matter how difficult things may be around us, God is a God of compassion, and it would do well for us to to uh, develop the proper relationship with God so that we can see His mercy and compassion. Most accurately, Moshe predicted and expected, I should say, how easily Am Yisrael, the people of Israel, would fall into gross idolatry. Moshe isn't saying, it's because you guys are so bad that you're going to go this way. Rather, I like to say that the the, the inclination to, to make the wrong choices uh, exists in front of all of us, and yet we must rise above that which is bad in our circumstances, and and look and press into that which is better, that which is good, and avail ourselves of the goodness and mercy of God. Again, challenges are going to be presented everywhere we turn, and so it's up to us, and of course the spirit within us, to help us make the right and healthy choices. Israel was no different. Israel was no different. They they had the same amount of grace extended to them that we have in the quote-unquote New Testament. We serve the same God, and we have the same promises. The fact that Yeshua has been revealed to us now really doesn't change a whole lot other than the fact that we now know the name of the Messiah. 
but um, the Messiah and the faith that is offered through him has always been available from the days of Adam. The gospel was preached to Abraham. The scriptures reveal this to us. We know this to be true. And so we shouldn't fool ourselves by thinking, well, Israel had it tough. Israel had it bad. Boy, God was asking him to keep 613 laws, and he was standing ready with 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 um, uh, um, plagues and, and, and fire coming down from heaven if they wouldn't obey him. That's not the case. It's simply amazing, um, in my opinion, despite Israel's uh, gross idolatry, it's amazing to me that God didn't give up on them. You ever stop to think about that? God could have simply said, you know what, that's it. I'm going to wipe them out and start with a new people. And although we do see passages that seem to hint in that direction, I think it's the tension created by the emotions of God, who is in fact a person like us, in the sense that he has emotions. And um, I I really do think God has good days and bad days, Um, but I, I can't comprehend how his mercy wins out over judgment. I, I don't, don't, don't fathom that. But I do know this. He is an emotional God. He can become uh, frustrated and he can become angry. And those are real emotions. We have them as well. Uh, my computer doesn't have emotions. You, you get my point? My computer simply either works or it doesn't work. Fortunately, because I'm using a Macintosh computer, it works most of the time. But God is not a computer and we are not computers. We have emotions. We get happy, we get sad, we get angry. Um, And uh, God got angry with Israel quite a few times. So it is amazing that he didn't give up on them. The unexpected response from Hashem culminates in verse 41 of our Torah portion here. Let's take a look and see what the Torah has to teach us about the goodness of Hashem's nature. Remember, God is real and he's close and he's personal. He is as close as your thoughts. He is as close as your the expression of your mouth. He is as close as a prayer, to, to, you know, to quote a, a Christian maxim. He is that close. And so let's take a look at um, what the Torah has to reveal about the nature of this God who is not far away on planet X somewhere, but is very, very, very close to us. What I'm going to do is I'm going to conduct basically a paraphrased verse-by-verse overview of the um, of verses three through forty three of um, of this chapter here of chapter thirty two, basically the bulk of it. I'm going to paraphrase. Okay, in verses three and four, we basically have Moshe proclaiming up front the greatness of their God. In verses five and six, we have the people themselves being described as the ones who have the problem. Okay? Within the people themselves lies a defect. Notice that God is never to blame. God is not the one who should be faulted when things go bad. Everything that God does is just and is good and is right despite the way we interact with those circumstances and despite the way they seem to turn out on our side. Everything that God does is just. Who can lay a charge against God? No one. Everything that God does is right. In verses 7 through 11, Hashem takes unto himself this defective, undeserving people. There it is, mercy and grace right there. The people don't deserve it, but God takes them unto himself nevertheless. In verses 12 through 14, God alone provides for all of their needs. 
Again, we've got to understand that everything that we have comes from God. The God who is close to us, the God who has good days and bad days, the God who is emotional, just like we are. Now when I say he has good days and bad days, don't take that irreverently. I don't mean that when he has a bad day, he does the wrong things. When we have good days and bad days, we sometimes make errors in our judgment because of of, of our emotions. God is emotional, but he doesn't do anything wrong. It's just like Yeshua. Yeshua was a human being, and he got angry as well, but he didn't sin. I can't understand how he didn't sin, but he didn't. Okay, But he, he still had good days and bad days. You know, There were days when Yeshua woke up and said, Oy vey, my head hurts. Oh, I don't want to go out and do anything today. I don't want to go out and talk to people or heal anyone. I'm judged. I just want to lay in bed all day. You know, we've had these days. I'm sure Yeshua had the same type of days. He was a human. He experienced um, uh, these types of uh, aches and pains that the body goes through. And yet, he experienced no sin. Back to our Torah portion. In verses 15 through 18, um, God, uh, God... Well, let me let me just read my commentary. The people, in verses 15 through 18, allow their greed and their lust to overtake them, despite the fact that God is providing for all their needs. You ever been there before? God, gimme, 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 gimme. We pray these prayers. We get selfish. God, gimme, gimme, gimme. God provides for all of our needs and most of our wants, and yet we still pray, gimme, 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 gimme. Right? We want more, we want more. What ends up happening is our greed and our lust overtake us, and we end up squandering that which God is giving us, or we ask incorrectly so that, we, so that our lust can consume it. Uh, in verses 19 through 25, Hashem administers what I call fatherly correction, in this case to woo them back to himself. Again, God is a perfect parent. We may not always agree with his parenting skills. Nevertheless, he's a perfect parent. And in his correction, he is drawing us back to himself. He's all about reconciliation. He's all about rebuilding and repairing relationships. And so if he has to give us a potch from time to time, you know, a little spanking, a little swat, then it's usually for our good, and it is so that we can come back to him. In verses um, 28 through 33, again, recognizing their defect within the people, God compares them to their enemies. Okay, It doesn't always feel good what God uh, has to say to us, but again, we usually deserve it. And then in verses 34 through 42, when Hashem's own judgment consequently comes upon those who hate him. Remember, not everybody in the bunch is what they appear to be. You have a hundred people in a, in a congregation, a hundred people who are supposedly members of a congregation. Surely all 100 people are not going to be genuine followers and believers in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There are always going to be people who are really cold in their heart, cold on the inside, and no one can see their heart except God. And so when Hashem's judgment consequently comes upon those who hate him, then his own people begin to consider him once again as the only source of all sustenance. They also get the lesson. And it's very, very fortunate that they do. And then finally, in verse 43, within my um, summarization here, the judgment that, that God uh, brings upon those who hate him, this righteous judgment from Hashem elicits a proclamation from Moshe himself to the nations. Again, he's speaking prophetically, and he says, quote, Sing out, you nations, about his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will render vengeance to his adversaries and make atonement for the land of his people. End quote. 
Now again, as we can see, far from being cruel and unmerciful, Hashem desires to maintain a loving, a lasting relationship with His children. It is unfortunate that we are the ones who walk away from God. Time and time again, that is our uh, track record. God doesn't walk away from us. We are the ones that walk away from God. Always, 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 from the very beginning when we walked away in the garden to, to today, we are stubbornly running away from God when God is extending His loving arms over and over again to us. The Torah clearly states that the problem is not found within Hashem or His righteous ways. Rather, the problem lies within us. We are defective. And it's not God's fault. God doesn't create junk. God created us perfect. But we broke fellowship with God. Therefore, we have the problem. Now, this is repeated, of course, not just in the Tanakh, but in the Apostolic Scriptures. In fact, um, as I turn to the book of Hebrews, what do we read in chapter 8 of Hebrews, verses 7 through 8? Let's just turn there real quick. I have the reference in my commentary, but I actually want to read the verses for us in my uh, study here. Got David Stern's version opened up. And here we are, Hebrews chapter 8. And let's look at Pasuk 7 and 8. It reads this way. Um, quote, Indeed, if the first covenant had not given ground for fault finding, there would not have been, there would have, let's try that again, there would have been no need for a second one. For God does find fault with the people when he says, See, the days are coming, says Adonai, when I will establish over the house of Israel and over the house of Yehuda a new covenant. End quote. The writer of Hebrews, of course, is quoting the book of Jeremiah when he talks about the renewing of the covenant. Why does the covenant need to be renewed? Because the people broke it. There was nothing wrong with the covenant. There was nothing wrong with God. The fault was with the people. And that's exactly what the book of Hebrews just told us. Finding fault with them. Not finding fault with the covenant. Yes, the covenant has limitations, but God designed it that way. The fault is with the people. And so um, Hebrews tells us that this renewed covenant, this Brit Chadashah, was necessary because of the fault within the people. Indeed, the same one that is within us today. The fault is within us. We have an inherited defect which causes us to lack wisdom. Right, makes us stupid. I, I ought to make this bumper sticker because I'm reminded of this whenever I fall into gross disobedience. You know what, Ariel? Sin makes you stupid. That's right. That's a bumper sticker I ought to make for myself. Sin makes you stupid. When I find myself um, knowingly sinning, even though the Spirit has already convicted me and told me, Ariel, stop doing what you're doing. Step out. Step away. And I just continue to go headlong into my own sin. Typically, also, the Spirit will, will send a, a little sharp message into my brain and say, Ariel, sin makes you stupid. And then to prove it, I'll go to do something that is seemingly mundane, something I've done you know, day after day, something as simple as, like, say, maybe tying my shoes or, or, or opening up a certain application on my computer or, or um, walking out a, a perfunctory task that I do every day, you know, like brushing my teeth or something like that. And what will end up happening is I'll suddenly just... Have a brain freeze. I'll forget to do it. I'll, 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 I'll have a lapse in mental judgment. And then I have to stop and remind myself, gosh, what am I getting, stupid? And then there's that old reminder again, yeah, Ariel, it's because you're sinning. And you know what? Sin makes you stupid. So this lack of wisdom, 
you know, lack of wisdom of Hashem's ways, it brings us into conflict with His holiness, thereby leaving us hopeless to reach the goal that the Torah outlines for us. When we sin, we're off, car- we're off course, we're off chart. Our compass is, 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 is not pointing us to the direction that we need to go. Either that or we've discarded the compass. And so, in our utter desperation, we have no choice but to concede that He alone, God alone, can make the necessary corrections in our sinful makeup because we cannot correct ourselves. I understand that we can make choices to follow God, but ultimately we're talking about the sin problem that plagues all of mankind, and that's a problem that only God can solve. And this correction is sometimes defined in what we call the judgment of God, okay? And so that's what I want us to understand as we uh, study our Torah portion today. Let's talk about God's standard, okay? His standard of righteousness, his standard of obedience, his standard of truth, as outlined in his words, and as is demonstrated equally among both Jews and Gentiles. God is not double standard. God does not carry a double standard. And therefore we need to study this uh, topic. The Torah portion finds its... um, passage today in Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 32, basically the entire chapter is a Torah portion, just one chapter long. Um, Moshe is speaking to the people, and once again, the children of Israel find themselves the object of God's rebuke, or the object of God's correction. Uh, When it's very severe, we call this tochacha, punishment or cursings. But in this case, it seems like God is simply emphasizing the necessity to walk in his, into his provision, into obedience, and into covenant faithfulness with him. And um, in this, uh, as I call it, a fatherly talk, um, we find Moshe playing the conscience of God. And uh, God mentions the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that seems to be how it is for many of us today. Um, circumstances spin out of control and we are prone to blame God but that's the last thing we should do we need we do need to understand that God is in control of every circumstance but we also need to understand that God is providing for us a challenge and a way for us to grow in our relationship with him and so it's unfortunate that bad things happen to good people but it's not unfortunate that God is still in control and so we need to remember because God is helping us and that he is watching out after us we need to run into his goodness and his mercy. It's easy to become disheartened. It's easy to become pessimistic and uh, look at every rainy day as a bad thing. But um, we need to understand it from God's vantage point. God corrects us when we step out of line. And God sometimes sends rainy days just to challenge us. God is not cruel and unmerciful. God desires to maintain a loving, lasting relationship with every one of us. And so now I want to turn to this relationship that God extends to us and uh, look at it through the lens of his standard of righteousness and his standard of goodness um, that he has extended both to Jews and to Gentiles. One of the reasons why I have to have discussions like this is because there exists a certain amount of... um, Uh, animosity between the two groups. Church people sometimes feel, I'm just speaking generally, but church people sometimes feel that we are all that in a bag of chips. We are um, God's uh, beloved because of of Yeshua. And then oftentimes the Jewish people um, feel that they in fact are the recipients of God's goodness and mercy because God chose him, set his affection on the forefathers, and gave us his words of life, his Torah. In reality, God loves 
Jews and Gentiles equally. And he, he presents one standard of equity between both people groups. And so that's what I want to talk about right now to this next section. is entitled, The Torah Standard, God's Equity Among Jews and Gentiles. If you have the written notes, which I always recommend that you have, we are about the middle of page 3. You know, as children of an all-loving God, we must realize that sin is unacceptable to Hashem. His righteous standard demands that a price must be paid in order to, what we say as a child might say, make the sin go away. You know, when I was small, um, and um, I would find myself either hurt or find myself afraid or find myself facing difficulty, I thought that my parents had the solution to everything. And so I often found myself wondering when something went wrong or when there was pain or when I was afraid, how come my parents can't just make this go away, this bad feeling just go away? Why can't my dad rebuke this thing and make it go away or you know, tell the fear, leave, get away from me? Uh, um, you know, for me, the, uh, the child, Ariel. Um, in a childlike way, we, we kind of think sometimes that God... Why, if he's so powerful, why can't he just make sin go away? Why can't he just blink his eyes and make sin disappear? Well, um, that is, again, maybe a childlike way of viewing, a very naive way of viewing sin. But unfortunately, it's not that simple. Sometimes we don't think of it in those terms, but that's essentially what happens of sorts when atonement is made for sin. Sin is dealt with. It's dealt with. It's taken care of. It doesn't. It's not swept under the carpet, is my point. It's not just locked up into another room, only to possibly break out the next day. No. Something happens when atonement is put into motion. And we may talk a little bit about... Uh, a, well, I should say we'll talk more about atonement in, in um, say, different books of the Torah. Right now I don't want to cover it extensively. I just want to, to briefly mention that um, when Hashem sees the sacrifice instead of the sin, and the punishment is meted out on the substitute, then sin is dealt with. Now, we see this foreshadowed in the animals and in the temple service that we read about in the book of, say, Leviticus. The animals brought forth and presented before the priest, the presenter, that's me and you, we lay our hands on the live animal, confess our sins, and then we cut the throat of the animal. The, the priest catches the blood, sprinkles it on the altar, and, um, and, and there's an atonement that takes place. We're going to talk about this more fully in about, say, a week or so when the um, Yom Kippur study is done at this website, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. We're going to talk about atonement. We saw that the animals foreshadowed this this simplified mechanism of life for life or substitutionary atonement. But this is most fully demonstrated, of course, in the person and work of Yeshua. Am Yisrael's whoring attitude that we read about in this Torah portion uh, towards alien gods demanded a righteous verdict on the part of their covenant partner, who of course was God. They were in a they they God and Israel had already entered into a covenant agreement with one another. God had promised to remain faithful to them and be their God and provide for them, so long as they played their part and remained faithful to Him as their God and did not chase after and pursue alien love. 
But the problem is, as we talked about earlier, the bad news is, is that Israel broke their part of the agreement. That's right, the defect was within the people. There was no problem on God's part. There was no problem with God's laws or God's covenant or God's spirit or anything on God's side. Everything is, it, it's all man's fault. It really is. God is not to blame. Man is to blame. We are the ones with the defect. And so God has to renew the covenant. Um, it has been stated that God blesses Israel directly, but uses the nations of the world to punish her indirectly. Similarly, if we turn the coin around, he seems to punish the nations of the world directly, but when it comes to blessing them, he indirectly uses Israel. Isn't that kind of neat? God says to Israel, I'm going to punish you, so I'm going to send you off into exile into the hands of other people groups, into foreign lands where you'll serve other gods and um, bow down to them and, and, and help maintain their temples and, and things like that. And then when he wants to punish Israel, or when he wants to bless Israel, he blesses them directly. But he says to the nations of the world, if you want me to bless you, you must bless Israel, and then I will bless you. As you bless Israel, then I will bless you. To an extent, this example, this paradigm I just described, is exactly what's happening in this chapter as Hashem seeks to win back the affection of his children from idolatry. Right through the use of a non-people group. Look at verse 21, the latter half. All right, God says, um, um, I want you back, Israel, I want you back. Let me read that verse for you. Chapter 32, verse 21 reads, they aroused, Speaking of Israel, they aroused, me, they aroused my jealousy with a non-God and provoked me with their vanities. I will arouse their jealousy with a non-people and provoke them with a vile nation. And uh, in a clever way, this has this has relevance to the apostolic scriptures because when God opened the mysterious door to the Gentiles and invited them into the covenant, it really made Israel upset. To be sure, Israel is still upset today over this supposed inclusion of Gentiles into Israel Israeli covenant or into Israelite covenant. Um, but this verse here in the Torah portion is the um, prophetic. Uh, seedbed, as it were, to the promise that God would provoke Israel to jealousy through a non-nation, and the non-nation is, of course, the Gentiles. But, Ariel, some of you may object today, I don't practice idolatry. I'm not at all like the Jewish nation that I read about in the Torah. I follow God in his ways. I love God. I would never do anything to... Um, just blatantly disobey him. I would never bow down and prostrate myself to false gods, to idols, and do some of the gross things that we read about in the Tanakh and in Israel's history. I would never consider falling into gross disobedience like some of the other people have done. Why are you telling me all of these things? How does any of what you're telling me apply practically? Is that a question that some of you have asked? Well, Here's the answer, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to imagine that I can read everyone's mind who's listening to my podcasts. But here's what I believe some of the answer is. I believe that the Torah teaches us that as believers, both Jew and non-Jew, we all constitute the community of the called out ones. Reference Ephesians chapter 2. We are all ecclesia. We are all called out children of Israel that we read about in the Torah portions just happen to be the forerunners to what would later be recognized as quote-unquote the church, um, those who are called out of the world, called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Okay, The Jewish people have been chosen. They are called out, 
out of Egypt and out of sin and into the promised land. Likewise, the Christians, as it were, the non-Jews, are called out of the pagan um, people groups and into the community that we call the body of Messiah. But we're all in it together, if I could use modern vernacular. The Jews and the Gentiles are all collectively called out if they have recognized God as the one true God with Yeshua as their Messiah. The time for viewing the body as some disconnected unit with two different families where we've got one hand, on the one side we've got the church, and on the other hand, on the other side we've got the synagogue. People, that nonsense has got to come to an end. We've got to drop these differences and we've got to come back together as one called out community and recognize that God has called us both out. Indeed, it should have never been conceived where we got the split between the church and the synagogue. David Stern likes to call it the greatest schism in history. Historically, we Christians have had no problem identifying with Israel when it comes to the blessing. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah, I know I'm right. Um, I, 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 I've seen this before. I'm Israel, I'm Israel. And I point to all the blessings where God makes all these promises of yes and amen and how he's going to prosper me and, and make me the head and not the tail and I'll be blessed coming in and going out and all of these things where God gives me the power to get wealth and, and on and on and on it goes. And that's great when it comes to the blessings. But you know what? When we see the hand of Hashem in their punishment, like where God punishes Israel... We, the very same Christians I just described, we seem to turn a deaf ear to their cries then. Oh no, we're not Israel. We're not under the law. We're not under the curse of the law. Yeshua, our great sacrifice, taught us to have genuine heartfelt love for one another. And that in this way, he said, all the world will know that we are his. Remember? Yeah. So, there's no room for us to look down our nose at one another, whether we're Jews or Gentiles. Gentiles can't be looking down their nose at Jews and say, oh well, you guys used to be the people of God, but you're not anymore. And Gen- Jews can't look down their nose at Christians and say, oh well, you guys will never get it. The Torah is ours, and therefore the blessings are ours. The book of Romans chapter 11 actually speaks about the time when Hashem shall finally look upon Israel as a sin-free Nation. We read about that in Romans 11, verses 25 to 27, where Paul cryptically states that all Israel will be saved. I'm not going to imagine I fully understand what that verse implies, but I do know that it is a promise that will find its fullness in Yeshua. And so because I am to be found in Messiah, I know that that promise is going to come to pass, and I know that it is going to be for my good. The context of that chapter deals with the Gentile participation of the final atonement of Israel. How that, because the Jewish people have been placed in a in a, in a position of temporarily blindness, um, this goodness and mercy has now been extended to the Gentiles, and that it is the responsibility of these Gentiles now to turn around, do an about-face, and extend that goodness and mercy right back to those Israelites who have not yet understood how Yeshua plays an important role in the whole thing. So, it's true that Yeshua has already made provision for their sins, for Israel's sins, to be atoned for. However, corporately, they haven't realized it yet. And that's sad. So this brings us back to our Torah portion. Moses is speaking to the children of Israel, and he says, Give ear, O heavens, as I speak. Listen to the words of my mouth, O you earth. May my teachings fall like rain. May my speech condense like dew, like rain, 
like light rain on blades of grass or showers on growing uh, on growing plants. For I will proclaim the name of Adonai. Come declare the greatness of our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A trustworthy God who does no wrong. He is righteous and straight. God is the righteous one. He is perfect. His ways are good. And Israel is blind. Moshe goes on to say in Pasuk 5, He is not corrupt. The defect is in his children. O church, won't you listen to me today? Israel is blind and naked and she doesn't even know it. And here we are in the Yamim Noraim, the days of awe. We are within the ten days between the first of the year or the first of the month and Yom Kippur, the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. And God is crying out to his people, Oh Israel, won't you won't you listen to me? Listen to my atonement. Listen to the words that I have have presented to you. Through the, through the mouth of my chosen servant, Yeshua, the Messiah. Oh, Christians, won't you help today? Won't you reach out to the Jewish people today? How can you help? Many people ask me, Ariel, how can I help? What can I do? I, I, I don't even know where to begin. Well, this next section of my commentary is entitled, How Can I Help? If you are a Christian reading my commentary today or listening to this podcast listen up you can play an active part in helping the Jewish people to recognize their need for the Messiah Yeshua let me just let's just pause and tell you do a cursory glance of the Judaic section of iTunes podcast and you will see that there is a plethora of iPod podcasts available through the Judaic section that talk about Kabbalah that talk about Torah, they talk about the Jewish problems here and there. And scattered within the Judaic section of non or non-messianic or traditional Jewish podcasts, you'll find a few messianic podcasts. Mine is one. And guess what? Week after week I receive reviews from people around the world over the things that I'm teaching. And you know what the sad commentary is? Mostly those comments are negative, put there by Jewish people who hate the gospel message that we are preaching. They are blind in recognizing their need for Messiah. And my heart breaks as I read the comments that they post to my podcasts. They post very mean and nasty things saying that that we are in the wrong section, that we should be in the Christian section. Just an FYI, when I reproduce these podcasts next cycle, starting uh, two weeks or so from now, when I start, when we start again back in Breshit, I am going to produce them in the Christian section of iTunes, so watch for that, okay? And then I will have them both produced in the Judaic and in the Christian section. But they leave mean and nasty comments, things like, um, um, you know, Jesus and and Judaism don't go together, or or Christian Jew is an oxymoron, or things like that. And it's 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 so sad that the Jewish people are so blind. How can you help? Well, start by seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit, of course. The Ruach HaKodesh must be sought in prayer. He is the first place to turn when it comes to reaching out to lost Jewish souls. Find out how your genuine love for the Jews can be effectively communicated to them personally. 
Ask God to speak to you and break your heart for the Jewish people. Get actively involved in studies that explain the current move of God today for the church to rediscover her Hebraic roots. That's why podcasts such as these are produced and posted on the internet. They're not just for Jewish people. They are also for Christians who are in church settings where they don't understand that the Jewish people play an important part. Have an honest chat with a rabbi and ask him to explain to you his concerns for his own Jewish community. Remember people, and I'm, I'm speaking primarily to Christians, okay? Remember, at this time of year, during this fall season of repentance, many, many Jewish people worldwide are in fact genuinely seeking the forgiveness of Hashem. And Baruch Hashem, you know what? Many Jewish people will find it. Oh yes, God is still in the business of saving people. And so your prayers for the Jewish, for the Jewish people don't go unanswered. God can and does save Jewish people right where they're at. He still does. I know it. I know it. So continue to pray for the salvation of Israel. This time of year is when the hearts of the Jewish nation, the heart of the Jewish nation is tender, as it were, towards God, because we are very, very introspective during this time of year. It's because of the, the way God designed our calendar. God has already provided the forgiveness that the Jewish people seek. Of course, in the person and work of the greatest Jew who ever lived, Yeshua HaMashiach. So we, the church, we need to recognize the importance of our active involvement in their corporate salvation process. Do you understand how this works? If, you'd not, if you're not understanding, read Romans chapter 11 again. Read it very carefully. And if you're of Gentile stock and you're a believer... Watch what Paul has to say to you. Watch how Paul admonishes you to take that very same grace that was extended to you through the blindness of the Jewish people and how Paul actually admonishes you to turn around and extend that very same grace to the Jewish people who do not understand. Now, in the final few words of my commentary, lest we become too blind to our own sins. We the church. We are the light, that's right. But we need to also search within ourselves and continue to determine to completely drive out the root of error that has sprung up over the last 2,000 years or so. Oh yes, it's also a sad commentary. Even though the church understands who Jesus is, the church is needs the mercy of Hashem as never before as well. So continue to pray for your own communities. Don't just ignore the need within your own families. We need to understand that we also have problems. You know, if we Christians, if we fail to recognize our need for His cleansing judgment, then we may find ourselves wondering, like so many Jewish people today, scratching our heads, why do, good, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, you can reference 1 Peter 4, 17-19 to understand that judgment begins in the house of God. That's where it starts. You see, we, the church, have become proud and arrogant and boastful as the people of God. That's right. 2,000 years ago or so, we walked away from the Jewish communities that birthed us. 
We walked away from Sabbath keeping. We walked away from the festivals. We turned a deaf ear to God's commandments about keeping kosher, what to eat and what not to eat, wearing tzitzit and demonstrating God's faithfulness on a very visible communal level. Oh yes, about 2,000 years ago or so, we decided that we don't need those antiquated Jewish things. And so we put off the Torah of our God. And guess what? We have been on a course of, of diminishment of blessing ever since. God does not bless wickedness. God does not bless disobedience. And so we've got our problems too. The Jewish people can help us to understand our place in the covenants and our our responsibility to the covenants as believers and followers of God. If we call ourselves believers and followers of God, then how is it that we are so quick to walk the other way when God says, walk into my ways? I'm not saying we disregard every single commandment, but to turn a deaf ear to the, um, to the ceremonial and the, and the um, uh, religious aspects of the Torah that we saw as too Jewish... We've got problems, people, and we need help as well. We need to consider the voice of the prophets today, the voice of these modern um, Torah teachers who are telling us, return to the ancient paths, return to the Hebraic roots of your faith. Won't you also pray for your leaders and for your pastors and for your parishes for your cardinals and your bishops and uh, for your Sunday school teachers and those people who just can't understand why some of you listening to my podcast have such an intense love for the Torah of Moshe those of you who have such a love won't you pray for those people they do know who Yeshua is, and that's a great place to start. Start with the commonalities between... Um, I'm still speaking to Christians, okay? Start with the commonalities, the things that you agree on. Don't bash people for the things that they're not doing. Don't pe- beat people up over the head if they're not wearing tzitzit, if they're not keeping kosher, if they're not keeping Sabbath day, if they're keeping Sunday, Christmas, Easter, and things like that. Don't beat them up. Have mercy and compassion on them like God has upon ancient Israel who also stubbornly walked into disobedience. We all need help. And it's my impassioned plea today to those of you listening to my podcast that we as a called out community, both Jews and Gentiles, would soften our hearts, open our ears, and cry out for God's mercy during the season of repentance, during the season where God is extending his love and his right arm out to us. Oh, please forgive us, God. We know not what we're doing. Both Jews and Gentiles, we are both guilty of violating your words. We have spurned your covenant. We have walked away from the Holy One of Israel. And we don't know where we are. We are lost in our wilderness of sin. Oh, please, Lord, forgive us. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because God has one righteous standard. And his standard is the... um, is the truth that we read about in the Torah. His standard is the lifestyle demonstrated by His Son, Yeshua. If we fail to walk into God's ways, we will find ourselves the recipient of God's rebuke and of His reproof and of His correction. And ultimately, it will lead to our own destruction. The question is asked, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, the answer might just be found in verse 52 of our current parashah. And with this, I'm going to close. 
What does verse 52 say? Quote, You failed to demonstrate my holiness there among the people of Israel. End quote. O sovereign Lord, have mercy on us all during this our season of repentance. Amen. Amen. The closing blessing is as follows. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Torat Emet Vechaye Olam Nata Batochenu Baruch Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. You have given us your Torah of truth and have planted everlasting life within our midst. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. And with that, I wish you a hearty Shabbat Shalom. That concludes our show for today. Remember, because the Messiah has already come, the Torah is now a document meant to be lived out in the life of a faithful follower of Yeshua through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to the glory of God the Father. It should not be presumed that it can be obeyed mechanically, automatically, legalistically, without having faith, without having trust in Hashem, without having love for God or man, and without being empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. To state it succinctly, Torah observance is a matter of the heart, always has been, and always will be. My name is Torah teacher Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song was produced and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at Yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y E S H U A number 613 at hotmail.com or visit our website at graftedin.com that's graftedin.com